looking at the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to flip through to that. Uh, you'll find the book of Philippians if you jump to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Then jump through a couple of chapters, you'll see a couple of other books. You'll find Philippians in amongst Colossians and Galatians and all that uh, around there. It's a great book of the Bible I'm going to be thinking about over this term, uh, what God has to say to us through that. What is your passion? Interesting question, isn't it? What is your passion? Uh, a couple of years ago, we were having Christmas dinner. And uh, Kevin will remember this, maybe, hopefully. Uh, Kevin was over for dinner. And Alexander, those of you who know Alexander, Karina uh, and my second son, uh, is always uh, lively and bright. And we're in the middle of Christmas dinner sitting down having a chat and eating our beautiful lunch that was prepared before us. And Alexander turned to Kevin and he said, So, Kevin, what's your passion? We all said, Oh, that's an interesting question, Alexander, over the Christmas lunch table. And Kevin was great. He, uh, he continued on. He was able to uh, talk with Alexander about that uh, from his perspective. But it's a good question, is it? What is your passion? You don't ask that too often. We, we often see it in people. We often witness it at times, but we don't often ask that question of others or ask that question of ourselves. What is your passion? Well, as we go through the book of Philippians over this next uh, term, we're going to see one very passionate guy. He's got a great name. He's called Paul. He's not me, uh, but he's the Apostle Paul, and uh, he was... Uh, writing to the church in Philippi and he writes an extremely passionate letter. And we're going to get a glimpse of that today. I'm going to see a couple of Paul's passions because it's not just a one passion thing but Paul's passion comes from one major passion and then flows from that into a passion for a number of things. We're going to see that a little bit this morning. We're going to see that throughout the book of Philippians. And I pray that as you look at that and uh, see that this morning and as see that over this term that Paul's passion will become your passion, if it isn't already. Or he may inflame and ignite a passion that you already have so that it becomes part of your life over this term. So I'm going to invite Heather up. She's going to come and read to us Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Uh, we're going to look at that this morning. And you can follow along either on the screen or on your Bible. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Did you feel it? Uh, it might take you a little bit more time to read it and uh, contemplate it. Obviously, I've been reading it all week. Uh, but we're going to try and uh, delve into that a little bit this morning. You'll see on the back of your service sheet that there's three little uh, titles that I've given for it today, three headings, and we'll be looking at that. Uh, Paul's passion, firstly, for God, then his passion for people, and then his passion for prayer. I'm going to think about those three things this morning. Uh, the first thing that we need to know is that... Uh, Paul is passionate and he has a, a passion that is driving him and it's driven him uh, to the point where he's in jail. Uh, you'll see that he's in chains, he mentions it later on in the passage, doesn't he? And we believe that he's in jail in Rome at this time and he's writing back to the church in Philippi and he wants to encourage them and speak into their lives even though he's away from them. And you can feel that in the letter, can't you? It's almost like a love letter to someone that you're missing. He talks on those sort of terms about these people, and we'll see that a little bit later. Uh, but his desire, isn't he? He wants to speak to them and encourage them where they are. He's passionate for them. And firstly, we see that he has a, a passion for God. Uh, you'll see that even in the first couple of verses. If you notice what he says in the first couple of verses, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You could even translate that, say, slaves of Christ Jesus. That literally, his life is Jesus. He's given his life over to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who is his king. And he speaks as that in a very emotive term. It's a slave, it's a servant. It's not just that he works for, or he goes about his business for, but he's a slave for. His whole life is driven by Jesus. And he says to all God's holy people, or some of your translations will have saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Uh, Paul is writing to all these people in this church in Philippi, to the people there. And you notice the terminology that he gives to them. He says the holy people or the saints. That's what saints mean. Saint means one who's been made holy. One who has been made perfect. Sometimes when we think about saints, we think about people that look a bit like this, don't we? Uh, we think of that sort of a picture of what a saint is, someone who has lived some sort of life that somehow has decided that we can be a saint and they've been designated that term. Well, the Bible doesn't speak of anything like that related to saints. There's no idea of one or two people being set apart to be that. Paul says to all the saints, all the holy people in Philippi, that is everyone. All those that believe and trust in Jesus. Everyone who knows Jesus is a saint. That's all of us. That's all of us. We're saints, you and I. Paul's often called in the Bible Saint Paul. Well, actually, I could be called Saint Paul. You could be called Saint Ben. You could be called Saint Betty. All of us, in a sense, if we believe and trust in Jesus, we are saints because we've been made holy. We're not holy in and of ourselves. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. That's what makes us saints. And everyone who knows him is a saint. That's wonderful news, isn't it? How encouraging is that? You don't have to wait to be beatified. You already are. 
in Jesus. Wonderful thing. Now, when you go out the back to later day, you can go around and say, G'day, Saint, such and such. How'll that be? Nice way to greet each other. If you did that down the street, people would think you're a bit weird, but, you know, here we can do that. Uh, but that's who we are. That's who we are in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to the believers and followers of Jesus in Philippi, and that is the same terminology for you and I. Uh, and, and he's passionate for them, isn't he? he? He loves them, and he speaks to them, and he speaks to them that every time he sees them, he thanks God for them. Every time he thinks of them. You see, Paul is not only passionate for God and who he is, but he's passionate for the people of God. He's passionate for those that he's writing to. He's passionate for the people that are with him. And he speaks to them in some really amazing terminology, doesn't he? We've done that bit. That's why there could be some tricky bits in here. You see, everyone who knows Jesus, who's got Jesus, they've got Jesus on the inside. That's who we are. We're people who are powered and empowered by Jesus. And they're the people of God and they're the people that Paul are passionate for. Uh, some people say, don't they, blood is thicker than water. When we think about terminology like that, uh, sometimes we think that, don't we? And we say that blood is thicker than water. But, you know, the Bible says and Paul says that the Spirit is thicker than all of that. That actually, when you trust and believe in Jesus, you are even more connected than blood. Because this connection takes you through life and into eternity. That's amazing, isn't it? That the connection that we have in Jesus actually lasts longer than our connection that we have in blood, possibly. That is, if we all trust in Jesus, if we know Jesus, then we will actually be with each other for eternity. We're going to have that connection with one another. When the Bible speaks of what we are like together, it talks about us as family, an eternal family, one that goes on forever. That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Because we have Jesus on the inside. That's why. And because we've got Jesus on the inside... Paul can speak in those types of terms to his people around him. Uh, if you look at some of the passages that he uses, he, he speaks about things like, I think of you all the time and I rem remember you. Uh, I think of you with great joy. I think of you as though the love and the, I, wa I want to see you again like Jesus wants. I want, to, I want to know, I want to see you. It's a very passionate letter. It's a letter that he's saying he desires to see you. He desires to encourage you, desires for you to grow. And he uses terminology like that. And I don't think I've le written a letter in that type of terminology someone since I was about 15. You know those old love letters you used to write? Well, some of us might have used to write them. Or maybe at those anniversary letters you had, you'd write really passionate stuff to the person that you're writing to. Well, Paul writes this sort of thing to the people in Philippi. That's how he feels about them. Have a look at the person around you and beside you now. How do you feel about them? Oh, if you're sitting next to your husband or your wife, well, you know, maybe look at someone else. You know, don't let that one colour the one that you have for everyone else. No. Look at the people around you. How do you feel about the people around you? 
like them. They're okay. Uh, maybe. If I see them down the street, I'll say good day to them. You know, that might be nice. Some of you out there, I might give you a cuddle, but not all of you. Some of you wouldn't want to go near you. I'm not speaking for me, this could be you. It's a challenge, isn't it, the way that Paul loves the people that God has brought into his life. It's a challenge for us to love each other that way. I'm saying we do that well, do we? And we, you know, we're, we're imperfect people and, we, and people do gripe us and people do annoy us and people can be really hard and frustrating. Even amongst that, I'm sure that would have been the same for Paul, but he speaks on such loving terms to them, doesn't he? And he does that because they're all connected through Jesus. So he doesn't do that out of his own strength. He doesn't do that because people are like him or have the same hobbies as him or wear the same clothes as him or play the same sport as him or barrack for the same team as him. He does that because they're in Jesus. Do you see that? He does that because they're in Jesus and he can do that because he's in Jesus. That's how he's empowered to do that. You see, when we struggle with people around us, we need to come back and ask God for the strength to love them not write them off, not get peeved off with them, but come back and ask God to give us the strength to love them because they're in Jesus. It's a challenge, isn't it? But Paul has a passion for Jesus because he firstly has a passion for God because he's in Jesus. And because he has that passion for that, he has a passion for those that God has brought into his path and he's got a passion for them to be in partnership with them. See, but together he's saying that as these people are gathered, as Paul's over in Rome, over here, but these people over in Philippi, they together are actually in partnership together in the gospel. Even though they are separated by distance, they are in partnership in the good news of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, they are connected and they are on the same page and they're on the same mission because they're in Jesus together to bring the good news of Jesus into their lives and into the world and the people that they live around them's lives. That's what it means, the partnership of the gospel. Together they want to live for Jesus and together they want to see other people come to know Jesus. That's what the partnership is. And Paul's passionate for these people in Philippi to have that even though he's in Rome in chains. And the way that he's in partnership with them is he's praying for them. He's speaking to God for them and with them. If the Vanuatu people had been here this morning, I would have said, that's how we can be, can't we? And we still can. We can still be praying for them. We can still be in partnership with them because they are in Jesus like us. They are saints like us. They're on mission like us. And so we can be praying for them in that. And we've been loving them even from a distance. And even if we cannot possibly understand how they couldn't get their visas organised, we can love them. 
can't we? That's, yeah, that's fine. We, we have this all this all sorted. Ask Warwick and Jenny. It's all been organised, but no. And we think, man, what's going on with them? Oh, we've got to come back for that, don't we? And we say no, but we love them. We love them. And we share with them and we share with each other. Because we're in partnership in the gospel together. And this is a lovely little verse, and we can actually spend a whole lot of time just thinking about this verse in one sense. But this is a beautiful verse. Look at what it says in verse 6, because this is what we need to remember. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of everything that's going on, in the middle of our lives being chaos, us not living like Jesus, us not living the way that we think, things not coming together the way that we think they're supposed to come in. You know, our plans have been all sorted, and we think they're going down this path, but yet the side door opens or something crashes in onto us. And we think, ah, and if we're following Jesus, we think, my life is not looking like it's following Jesus at the moment. Things are just, I'm not sure what's going on. This is a wonderful verse of confidence, isn't it? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is such a great verse, isn't it? We might think everything else has gone scatterbrained. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to complete it. I'm going to bring it to its end. And I've got it. Carolyn said the talks that they had down at uh, the youth camp were about taking our trust off our, what we think we can do and trusting in God and what he can do. And when we do that... We can have that confidence, can't we? Because he is going to bring that to completion. He's got it. Uh, there's some great T-shirts around at the moment. Uh, Emma's got this one, Emma Finance. She had it on while she was here. I've got this. God. Uh, that one comes from Proverbs 3, verse 5. But that's what he's saying here, isn't it? I've got it. I'm gonna, I've got you. And I'm going to take you to completion in Jesus Christ. I'm going to bring you to the end. You've seen that wonderful... Has anyone seen the poem Footsteps? Uh, it's a great poem. Uh, and the Footsteps one is there's a guy talking to God and they're walking along and he's had a vision and he sees this picture of two footsteps going through the sand. One's his, one's God's. And then at one point in time there's only one set of footsteps going through and the guy says to God, what happened there? You left me. I'm just, it's only my footsteps going along there. And God says, no, no, no. That's when I carried you. It's great, isn't it? That's what God's saying here. Even though you may think you haven't got it, I've got you. I'm going to bring it to completion. You can trust me in it. Uh, this one's another one I saw. God's got my back. And your front. And your future. And everything. He's going to bring it to completion. That is wonderful confidence to have and thing to trust in. Paul has a passion for God. He has a passion for people. He loves them dearly. He has a confidence that God will bring about all things to completion to where God wants it to be. And within that, Paul is passionate for prayer. He prays for them. Right back in verse 3, he says, I continue to remember you and I pray for you. He's constantly thinking of other people in his prayers. 
That in and of itself is a challenge, isn't it? I read a quote the other day that uh, someone was writing that sometimes when we think about our unhealthy and how, where we're at and where we're unhealthy spiritually, uh, one of the things within this little thing they were saying was, are your prayers all about you? It's interesting, isn't it? It's not saying that you can't pray about you, but are all your prayers about you? Do they dominate your prayers? You see, Paul's prayers are dominated by who God is and the people that God has put around him. It's a great way to drive us out of our self-centeredness, isn't it? Now, so often we just spiral into what it is about us and we keep spiraling and keep spiraling until there's nothing other than us and then that's blackness and darkness. But Paul says, no, 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 we need to be seeking to be praying and thinking about those around us. And as we see what's happening out around us, then we actually become into the people that God wants us because it's not about all about us. It's actually about who God is and loving others and that we're part of doing that. That is how God has made us. So Paul's prayer is about other people. But it's not just about other people. It's about other people specifically. Look at what he says this. Look at what he prays for. Now, this is interesting because... It'd be interesting to see whether these correlate with our prayers for other people. When you think about what you pray for other people mostly, just see, well, does it, re- does it connect to this? Because this was the challenge for me. Look what he says. And this is my prayer. This is what Paul is praying for the people in Philippi. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's interesting, isn't it? What Paul is saying, his prayers for these people are about, is that they grow. They grow in their love for Jesus, their understanding of who Jesus is, and how that's lived out in their life. That's what he's praying for them. That's what he doesn't pray for. Doesn't pray for himself. Doesn't pray that they're comfortable. Doesn't pray that their financial situation is okay. Doesn't pray that they've got a good house. Doesn't pray for their health. Doesn't pray that they've got a particular whole lot of miraculous things going on in their lives. Doesn't pray that they're able to do all these miraculous stuff out here. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for those things. But where does Paul say it's most important? What, if he's writing down something here that he wants them to know that this is what he desires most for these people, is that they grow in love, abounding in their knowledge and discernment so that they can make decisions, so that they can live life of righteousness, which is a life for Jesus, a life that is to the praise and glory of God. That's what he's praying for them, isn't he? that they grow. It's, it's actually quite an agricultural sort of picture that he's got here. Even though you only hear of the agricultural term in the fruit of righteousness at the end of this passage, what Paul is saying is it starts with a seed. The seed is love. First and foremost, 
that love is what to be driving us. And that love comes out of the love that we have for God, the love that God has for us. We've talked about that a few times, haven't we? It's about being in Jesus. That's what it is. You have the seed of love within you and then that seed is to grow and then it sprouts and shoots into discernment and knowledge, into blossoming, to having a life that looks like Jesus, into fruit that's seen on the ground as you live for Jesus. We have a heap of lifestyle programs on TV, don't we? There's even a lifestyle channel. Isn't there, Sam? There is a lifestyle channel, and it's fun. And I'm really loving looking at the little house ones. Have you looked at those, the tiny house ones? They're great. It's all about having the right lifestyle. It's all about having everything in the right place and the right thing, whatever that looks like. What Paul is praying here for us is that we have a lifestyle like Jesus. One that abounds in love. One that abounds in the knowledge of who God is and what that is to look like. And one that lives that out on the ground. That's what the blossom is. That's what the fruit is. That's what Paul is praying for the Philippians. You know, you notice it's a growing thing too? You know, like it's a movement thing? This isn't a suddenly bang, you've got it. Paul isn't saying, okay, now you're a follower of Jesus, you've got it all sorted, guys. You're at the you're here, you're ready for Jesus' return. Like it's all there, you're all all done. And then it's a growing, he's saying this is a movement thing and he knows as you work through Philippians, as you look through it, Paul is going to say that there's a whole lot of growing going on and that growing comes out of looking into God's word, out of spending time with God's people, out of growing together in that and then living that out in the world around us. And we're going to see that as that comes out. But there's a movement, isn't there? There's a growth that happens within us. That's what Paul's praying for Philippians. What are you praying for each other? First question is, are you praying for each other? It's a challenge, isn't it? <coughs> Have a look around here today and think of how many people here you've deliberately prayed for and then deliberately prayed for them to grow, to have a lifestyle that looks like Jesus abounding in love. I'm not pointing the finger at you, have you noticed that? That's a great challenge for all of us, isn't it? That's a great challenge for me. I'm praying that deliberately for you. I can visually look into my head and see your face and pray this for you and pray this with the passion that Paul has for you. I can't do that by myself. I need God to do that. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit within us to do that, isn't it? And that's what we need to be asking God to move by His Spirit within us, to have that passion for Him that works out in a passion for you, that works out in a passion of praying for you, to see you grow in a passion for Jesus that looks like a lifestyle for Jesus. Does anyone know what that is? You know what it is, Mel? It's the International Seed Vault, isn't it? And at the moment, there's a number of these around the world and what they're doing is they're taking seeds from all over the world and they're placing them in these vaults uh, for a number of reasons. One is, if for some reason the whole world went poof, 
uh, you'd be able to go and find seeds there and regrow. But secondly, there are a number of different seeds throughout the world that are actually disappearing now. You know that we're only using, I think it's 20% of the world is fair, sorry, the world's food now comes from 20% of the seeds that have been around the world since the beginning. So we've knocked out 80% of the food growing seeds down to 20% or something. So really, mate, we've, anyway, part of that, what they're doing is they're putting that in there to hold onto that vault so that they don't get lost. But they don't have the seed of love in there. They don't have the seed of Jesus in there. And so even though that vault is going to be helpful to grow food, it's not ultimately helpful in growing us. Because you see right at the end, is this wonderful little phrase in verse 11 that says, to the glory and praise of God. See, that's where everything has to head to. That's where everything has to move to. If it doesn't head or move to that, I'm sorry, it's a waste of time. That's what Paul's praying, isn't he? He says, I'm praying for all this stuff. I'm praying that, that for you people in Philippi to, to know God, to grow in him, to have that understanding of him. Paul has got that passion. He has that passion that's driving him and it's driving him because ultimately his greatest passion is to the praise and the glory of God that people throughout the world will look up and say, how good is God? That's his desire. That's his desire for the Philippians. That's his desire for you and I. And that's his prayer for us. And that can be our prayer for each other. That can be our prayer for the Vanuatu friends. That can be our prayer for our friends in China. That can be a prayer for our friends in Trieste, our friends in Chad, our friends in uh, Tibet. All over the world, the people who we know who live in all those places, who know and love Jesus, this can be our prayer for them. Can I encourage you in that? Can I encourage you to go home from here and not be people who have listened and forget, but be people who've listened and pray? Think of people here and pray for us. Ken. option, isn't it? That's what we could be doing, Ken. So you start it in yours, I'll do it in mine. And everyone else and their others do it as well. And, and when you're at home, one of the things we don't have, which is what we do need to do, we need to upgrade our photo directory. Uh, and if someone has the time to be able to do that, stick up your hand, I'd love you to be able to do that for us. Uh, but one of the things we've done in the past is we've had our photo directory and you can actually open that up, you can look at the face, and you can pray for them. And you can pray this for them. If you don't have that photo directory and there are lots of new people here who aren't on that at the moment, 
work through the people around you today, notice their faces, look at their faces and go home and pray for them. Pray for them. Love them by praying for them. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it speaks to our hearts and our souls and our most inner desires. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a double-edged sword that cuts through to the very innermost of our being, Lord. And we thank you for Paul's words to us today from Philippians. As we see his passion for you, as we see his passion for people, as we see his passion for prayer, Lord, we pray by your spirit that you'll do a work within us so that our passions will align with his which ultimately align with yours. And that, Lord, we'll seek to be people who are passionate lovers of you, passionate lovers of each other, so passionate that we'll actually be praying for each other constantly and continually, that we may grow in our love, in our understanding, in our lifestyle for you, Lord, so that in everything, our life is to the praise and the glory of you. We pray this in Jesus' name.